Hello, hello, and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Max Tillman, coming to you from the studios of 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation and right across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is produced in association with the UTS Business School, and each week we take a closer look at the numbers that make up the news. Well, first we had Job Seeker, Job Keeper, and now in the naming tradition of COVID stimulus packages, we have Home Builder. And while the government's plans to break the champagne over the bow were slightly interrupted by a need to get off the grass, the latest economic injection has raised voices on both sides of the political divide. In short, if you're an Australian citizen over the age of 18, earn up to $125,000 as an individual or a combined $200,000 per annum as a couple, enter into a building contract between the 4th of June and the 31st of December this year, then you're eligible for the package. With your $25,000 courtesy of the government, you can either build a new home as a principal place of residence where the property value does not exceed $750,000 or substantially renovate your existing home as a principal place of residence where the renovation contract is between $150,000 and $750,000 and where the value of your existing property does not exceed $1.5 million. It's a lot of numbers and to make sense of the plan and hopefully raise a few important questions is today's panel. This week, we're joined by Federal Shadow Housing Minister, the Honourable Jason Clare, and Master Builders Association of New South Wales Executive Director, Brian Seedler. Shadow Minister, we'll start with you. Prior to the announcement of the Home Builder Scheme last Thursday, the Labor Party had been calling for several weeks for an alternative, and in fact, the National Housing Stimulus Plan was the name given to that alternative. Now, obviously, that would have addressed some of the critical issues in social and affordable housing. Now, your proposed package would essentially involve governments working with the private sector and superannuation funds to invest in more social and affordable housing while obviously repairing existing social housing. So with home builders all in bet on demand in the residential construction sector, do you think it's a wise use of a projected $688 million? Well, I think that what the government announced was inadequate. We argued uh, that you need a comprehensive plan. You need to support uh, investment in the private market, but you also need to invest in social housing as well. That's what we did when the global financial crisis hit and the housing construction industry was under the same sort of stress and pressure that it is now. We put together a package that involved investing in building new social housing and repairing social housing, but also providing support to encourage people uh, to build new homes in the private market. It helped keep us out of recession. Uh, We're already in recession right now. The risk is that it becomes a deeper, longer recession if an industry as important as the housing construction industry gets gets worse uh, in, in the weeks ahead. Um, So I I don't think it's an either-or case. Uh, The problem with what the government's put together is that they haven't done anything here in the social housing space, which if they had would have been a win-win. It would have kept more tradies working, kept more small businesses in the housing construction industry from going under and would have built the, the sort of infrastructure that we desperately need right across the country. And Mr Seedler, do you have anything to add to that? What I wanted would like to say is that we have to get confidence into the building industry we are we hover between the second and third largest sector um, of the Australian economy and the and the cascading effects of 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 our industry is is terribly significant so what we 
what the MBA is on about is about creating more opportunities for more people to to do more work. And of course, that then flows on to the ability of um, engaging more apprentices and upskilling people. This is uh, a, a long term a long term approach, even though this is uh, has a, has a life to it. This particular this a particular program. So look, all of the master builders modelling has been done by Ernst Young, and that suggests that in various sectors, um, the return on the on the money or the dollars that uh, the federal government is in investing will in some instances, be three three to one. Hmm. And when you talk about smaller businesses, that's obviously a, a very large part of the selling point for Home Builder is that it will be a windfall for a lot of small to medium-sized construction firms. But when you look at the figures, the lowest possible job to be funded under the scheme is sitting at $150,000. Do you think that a lot of businesses that this plan has essentially been targeted at are going to miss out on this demand because they may not be on the scale applicable to the plan. Well, well, well that might be the case. Certainly a lot of people that uh, might have been interested in renovating their homes uh, with a program like this will miss out just because the threshold is too high. Uh, the government created the impression last week uh, that this was going to be some kind of renovation rescue. But as you rightly point out, uh, you can't access the scheme unless your renovation is between $150,000 and $750,000 and you've got to earn less than $125,000. Now, there's not going to be a lot of Australians with a lazy $150,000 to, to invest in a, in a major renovation like that. And it may well be that uh, there's a lot of people that are in the the home building game that uh, won't be able to take advantage of the scheme because it's those big renovations rather than the smaller ones that they do. That will vary, obviously, from geographic location to geographic location, particularly if you look at the Sydney and the Melbourne market and also parts of the, the Brisbane market. The way I understand the government arrived at its, its trigger points um, was based on making sure that there was a legitimacy about those who get engaged in the construction process, that they are a business, a small business, and $150,000 is not a huge amount in the scale of, I guess, those markets I've I've indicated. But it also there are triggers around um, the earning capacity, as I understand it, and also uh, the issue of whether a tradesperson is licensed, uh, the amount of work that they can undertake, particularly in New South Wales, there are insurances that are triggered by a certain threshold. While I personally wasn't involved in in the the discussions surrounding what the triggers are, it was viewed that eighty uh, percent of the of owners or of, of consumers will satisfy the triggers that are needed and to get people back into building. Most Australians at the moment do not have at the very least $150,000 to spare. And if anything, the number of people who are cashing out their super funds in the last few months have dispelled any rumours that we're a cash-rich population or indeed one with enough borrowing uh, or savings at the moment to fund a plan like that. So do you think that homeowners or prospective homeowners or home builders will be willing to part with a large amount of money at a time like this? Well, we're in a recession. You know, a recession is, is a time where people are losing their jobs or they're losing hours of work, where there's less money in their pockets to be able to sink into big projects 
like this, even by the government's own analysis, we're talking about a very, very small number of people that'll stand to benefit from this this renovation program. And that means a very small number of of tradies, a very small number of home building businesses that'll benefit from this scheme. And ultimately, that's the test here. What, what, what the government should have been doing as it designed this package is work out what's it going to take to help to make sure that we don't have massive job losses in one of the biggest and most important parts of the Australian economy. Now, this is an industry that employs about a million people, not just the, the tradespeople on, on the site building the houses or doing the renovations. Uh, but it's all of the people who work in the manufacturing industry that produce the products that go to making a house, uh, cement to plasterboard to tiles to bricks. If if this is an industry which goes off a cliff like the Master Builders Association have predicted and the, the number of homes built over the next 12 months drops dramatically, then that means massive job losses. Uh, it, if this is an industry that collapses, the recession we're in right now is only going to get longer and be deeper. So the package should have been designed to try and keep as many tradies and keep as many people who work in the sector as possible from losing their job and ending up on the dole queue at Centrelink. And I don't think this package does the job. It's inadequate, it's complex and badly targeted. It'll depend a lot on the clients or the consumer as to whether or not they are able to trigger the um, requirements. However, there has certainly been some discussion about the length that development applications may take or do take in various municipal council or localities. And there's also been some suggestion that the lending criteria of banks, um, that may take a little time, which then eats into the, the timetable. But we have not had, certainly in master builders in New South Wales, have not had an avalanche of people complaining. Quite the contrary, we've had people saying that this is great for their business or at least great for the opportunity that uh, there will be some money flowing through to people who undertake renovations. And that's an area that we've said for many, many years is, a, is the I guess, the nursery of where good tradespeople come from. The renovation market is where a lot of apprentices get their, their skills and their skill sets. And so anything that improves that sort of outcome as part of the part of the process is is, is welcomed. We're, we're not training enough apprentices across Australia, even though the building sector is the largest trainer of apprentices, we are still not training enough. So if this opens up the market and gives more opportunities to young Australians uh, as a result of the of the allowances, then um, we're all for it. The program has been heralded as a big win for regional areas with caps on the value of the land for both new homes and the renovations, effectively excluding most of the major cities, although not entirely. But do you worry that the structures in place in regional Australia are not capable of dealing with such an influx of development approvals? Can councils, regional councils, effectively handle the rush over the next few months? Some might. Others will really struggle. You know, I know from talking to councils in bushfire-affected areas that they've needed to draw on the help of councils in metropolitan areas just to deal with the DAs to rebuild homes that were that were burnt down in the bushfires uh, over the over the summer period. For, for some regional areas, that the challenge will just be that in order to do a renovation that costs more than $150,000, there's not going to be a lot of those in regional Australia. Problems in the cities, there are problems in the bush as well. I just think this was a badly designed, seemingly 
rushed plan, and we'll we'll see the inadequacies of it. I think over the next few months. Look, I think our experience generally is that regional areas in New South Wales, particularly, um, get DAs approved quicker than those in metropolitan areas. Whether that's because they're more practical, I don't know, or they have less people objecting to particular uh, development applications, I I, I can't tell you. But in the majority of cases, it's more like regional New South Wales are able to work in a a quicker way. That doesn't mean that they're undermining the process. What that means is that perhaps they're more practical, have a practical approach. That's the case, and, and I did allude to this earlier, that would mean that we would satisfy the timeframes. But the issue of t- satisfying timeframes, particularly for, de- for development applications, has been raised. Uh, I think it was raised at a meeting with the, uh, with the federal government on Friday. And so we are certainly mindful that exaggerated or extended development application times and also the issue about the, the lending criteria of banks taking a bit longer particularly particularly in these harder times, might need to be addressed. Super funds have already shown themselves to be a very viable backer for construction stimulus packages aimed more at ensuring affordable housing. Now, First State Super, one of the largest super funds in the country, has of February this year invested $200 million into affordable housing projects. Now, their rental properties are targeted at key workers, healthcare, aged care, disability services, law enforcement, and the rent is at 80% of the market rate for the area. Are super funds being underused as a source of non-taxpayer funding for COVID stimulus? I think the answer to that is yes. First State Super is a a great example of the superannuation fund, which has found a way in here to build more housing for the sort of people that helped keep us safe over the last few months. People like nurses and cleaners and bus drivers and supermarket workers, people who weren't able to grab their laptop and work from home, people who don't earn a lot of money and and often uh, live on the outskirts of our major cities and have to travel long distances to the wealthier, more expensive parts of town to work. Designing affordable housing for key workers in places where they work just makes practical sense. It helps our cities to work better. It means shorter distances to work. And given everything that's happened over the course of the last few months, I think it's incumbent on us to think, okay, what more can we do here? And super funds are a big part of that. First State, I think, have done projects like this in Mooney Ponds in Victoria. They've also done it in Sydney. Councils can help here as well. I think um, there's a good example of, of council in the Concord area in Sydney where they approved the development of some apartments near Concord Hospital, but on the on the proviso that some of those apartments were reserved for nurses and cleaners and other workers at the hospital. It, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to engage with councils on this, but also to talk to superannuation funds about what's necessary to get them to invest more of their money in these sorts of projects that build the sort of housing we need for workers that over the last few months have shown themselves to be so important in helping our society to work the way it does. We need every type of building that is legitimate to to give opportunities to the construction industry because of the flow on impact. Whether that's social housing, and I know that at a national level, the master builder movement is very supportive of social housing. The issue for us is let's get the building industry building. Let's reinvigorate the confidence of the consumer to invest in their homes and in their infrastructure, whatever that may be. And let's give opportunities to the building industry and also that then 
gives opportunities to young Australians who want to get into our industry and become apprentices. I think that that is absolutely fundamental to our, our belief. The federal government is able to repel some of the attacks regarding the funding of affordable housing uh, with the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation that was formed as a statutory body in 2018. Now, according to their website, in November of 2019, the total value of loans the NHFIC board had approved was over $830 million. And according to the government's own data, the funding had delivered more than 1,000 new and upgraded 3,600 existing social and affordable homes. So is the NHFIC a step in the right direction to supporting affordable and community housing by the government? Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, It's something that we called for uh, in the last term of parliament. And I think it does have an important role to play here. So I'm not critical of NIFIC. The more work it does here, the better um, it's an important way through sort of as a bond aggregator in getting the money from superannuation funds and helping to provide debt finance for community housing organisations to build more affordable housing. I think its role can get bigger in the years ahead and I'd be keen and would urge the government to look at ways where it, where this housing bank, NIFIC, can, can play a bigger role. Um, but the government also provides money directly to state governments to build public housing, to build social housing through the um, uh, National Housing and Homelessness Agreement, something like uh, $1.5 billion a year. Uh, now, what I've been urging, what Labor's been urging is now's the time when we're in a recession, when the people who build houses um, are likely to be building a longer line at Centrelink because there's not a lot, enough work in the private market to bring forward some of that money that we'd ordinarily spend next year or the year ahead, spend it now, on the sort of social housing that we obviously need. There's more than 100,000 people on the waiting list for social housing. There's more than 100,000 people classified as homeless in Australia. The biggest group of those are mums and kids fleeing domestic violence. Another big group are older women. Another big group are Australian veterans, people who wear medals on Anzac Day and sleep rough in the park the day after. But in all of that context, a recession and a need to fix uh, social housing, that we should bring forward some of that money, spend it now, build the houses that we need and keep tradies working. That's why I call it a win-win. Do you recall this level of social introspection during the global financial crisis or has COVID-19 and the economic catastrophe it's caused given a little bit more of an opportunity for Australia to have those sort of existential questions? Slightly different. You know, I think with everything we've experienced in the last few months, it's reminded us all just how important safe and affordable housing is. Uh, We're all told stay at home. Uh, Our homes, uh, we often think of as our castle, but through March and April, they were really our fortresses. Shut the door, kept the virus at bay. We also found a way to get people who were sleeping rough in our parks and on our trains into safe accommodation. Those empty hotel rooms and motel rooms uh, became a a place of safety for homeless Australians. It's the reason I called for an eviction moratorium. It's the reason I think the government agreed to it, because we couldn't have a situation at the height of the pandemic where people who'd lost their job and couldn't pay the rent were thrown out onto the street. That would have been a catastrophe. Um, and I'm glad the government's done that. That the, the challenge still awaits us when that eviction moratorium ends and people potentially have large debts that they can't repay. But the point I, I guess I'm making is that the pandemic has reminded us how important so, uh, sort of 
safe and affordable housing is. Uh, we need to take that forward as we think about what we do now to get us out of this recession. One way to get us out of the recession is build more safe and affordable housing. And there are obviously quite a number of mirror image-like similarities in the timing and circumstances of this stimulus package to that that you've mentioned a few times earlier in 2007, yeah. the Rudd government's energy-efficient homes package. Uh, now, in particular, the $2.5 billion home insulation program that was used as a demand-side construction stimulus package. Now, state and territory officials were concerned from the get-go uh, that the Commonwealth had not mandated qualifications for insulation installers, had no criteria for companies being listed on a federal register of installers, and that being on the register would be seen by consumers as government endorsements. So there were a lot of issues going on. In the end, four young Australians died installing insulation in homes before the program was cancelled in April of 2010. Now, obviously, 10 years later, we're looking at a very similar situation in terms of a government stimulus package for the construction sector. Now, Labor would have a personal memory of what can go wrong with one of these stimulus packages, particularly when it comes to cowboy contractors. So, from a Labor perspective, how important is, is making sure that, that these systems don't allow people to slip through the cracks? Oh, very important. And, and, and a big part of that is making sure that it's only registered builders that participate in a scheme like this. I'm sure the Master Builders Association would have made that point to you. But I think the, 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 the better comparison is with a, another part of the stimulus package that was part of the response to the global financial crisis because as part of uh, responding to that crisis, we put money into social housing, about $5.5 billion into new social housing and repairing existing social housing. And we also put about $1.5 billion uh, into grants to help first home buyers build their first home. So about a $7 billion package. It, it helped stop the, the, the country going into recession and, and help put a floor underneath the, the home building industry. Now, if you compare that to what the government's done here with a $700 million package, it's less than a tenth of what we did during the global financial crisis for an industry that's in even worse shape now. We're already in recession now. So uh, we've got a bigger problem. The government has developed a, a, a smaller response to that. And Shadow Minister, if you could summarise from the other side of the political divide, what do you think is the best case scenario for Home Builder? Well, the best case scenario is that people don't lose their jobs. Um, but the, the analysis that organisations like the Master Builders Association have done show that um, before the virus hit, we were expected to build about 160 or 170,000 homes this year. And that the impact of the virus means that instead of that, we'll probably build 100 or 110, 115,000. Now, the, 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 the package that the government's put together will help a bit. It's expected, according to the analysis that organisations like Ernst & Young have done, um, that there'll be an extra 10, maybe 15,000 homes built because of this. So it'll help a bit, but we're still a long way short of that 160 or 170,000 homes that were predicted to be built this year. Uh, and that gap equals job losses. And that's why I'm urging the government to think again about what more you can do here to stop all of those carpenters, electricians and plumbers on work sites, those 
small family businesses that work in this industry and all of the workers who work in those manufacturing facilities, making the cement or the tiles or the bricks, um, all of those people who work in an industry, a million people all up, lots of them will be affected by this if this package doesn't get it right. We have until December 31st to see how home build affairs as an emergency jab of demand for the construction industry. But from today's discussion, it's clear that there are builders with tools on hand who are ready to work. But will the rest of Australia have enough money left in the piggy bank to fund the construction? And on that note, we conclude today's program. Thank you to our guests, Federal Shadow Housing Minister, the Honourable Jason Clare, and Master Builders Association of New South Wales Executive Director, Brian Seedler. Make sure to catch the full show online via your favourite podcast provider, and don't forget to tell your friends. I've been your host, Max Tillman. I'll see you again here next week.